This is a YCF special. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurduk. And we're here with our live audience. This is episode 100 for us, so we have done this 100 times for 100 episodes of conversation that some episodes are for like an hour, maybe a little bit longer than that. So we have talked to each other for 100 hours plus. There's a lot of extra time beforehand. Sometimes I don't feel like talking to you yeah. by the time the episode starts because <laughs> like... Like, when do you want to meet? And we'll meet at, like, 10 and then not start recording till noon. And then it's just like... So if we count all those, then it's way more than it should be. That's why I don't talk to you the rest of the week. That makes sense, except for uh, all the TikTok (laughs) videos you like to send me. So this is episode 100. We're here with our family and friends, and we are recording. This show is going to be on things I wish I knew sooner in my Christian walk. Uh, The way we're both reading that is if we didn't know what we're going to be talking about. I slightly didn't. So I'm going to start everything off with welcoming. I just did that. And thank you. Thank you guys for being here. Thank everyone who has listened and who will listen to the show. Uh, We really appreciate your guys' support. And uh, I'm very thankful that a majority of my family is here. My wife, kids, parents, brother, sister-in-law, nephews. Uh, So they're all here, and I'm really thankful for that because uh, their constant support and encouragement is why I get to do what I do. Do you want to say thank you to your family? Thank you. I got you one up. I have my grandma here, so I didn't hear you say grandma, so good to have you. And also, all of Belong. You guys are awesome. He forgot that he came and crashed our party, so... I did. They're thanking you, however that works out, yeah. And thank you guys, Belong, too, because honestly, (laughs) uh, you guys are a big part of us doing all this. Like, if Pastor didn't hire Murdoch, then we wouldn't be here doing this together, so... You guys are the reason I get to talk to him. Thanks. All right, things I wish I knew sooner. (laughs) I'm going to just jump into number one. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, transparency is important. And I picked this as number one because I feel like for a lot of us as Christians, we we get stuck in the everything has to be perfect mode. I spent a lot of my Christian life pretending to be perfect, where I had it all together. I knew a lot of my Bible. I read my Bible all the time. Uh, But deep down inside, I was struggling with just the guilt and heaviness of trying to be perfect until it all snapped and I couldn't hold it anymore. And I literally uh, snapped. I had a breakdown, if you will, in a sense, and I just couldn't do things. I couldn't function. I couldn't uh, operate like I used to. So I I just had a a big spiral. It nearly tore apart my family. It nearly uh, wrecked everything I was doing. Um, And it wasn't until we came back to Calvary that I really saw the importance in being transparent. Through the course of this, I also realized that I have some other issues that I struggle with depression and anxiety and these things just really just kind of uh, circled over my head for so many years without actually knowing what was going on with me. I would be like, why am I sad? I don't know. Everything seems to be going good, but inside I just don't feel right. Uh, And then coming here, we got put into a life group and it was like, Chris, you're leading it. And I'm like, I don't really want to. I don't know what to do anymore. Um, And then I started leading it and I was just like, hey, 
our our marriage was a wreck. We we almost got a divorce, and I had depression. And what I saw was people going, "Oh yeah, I've been there. I understand." And that just really started breaking this mold of what I had put on myself. This this weight of perfection. Um, so something to say to everyone is that transparency is so important. We don't always have to have it together. We don't have to pretend like we're perfect because we're not. I am imperfect. And that's okay because like I said in church earlier today, uh, it's through God's love that I become perfect. It's his love that washes over me that allows me to do that. Um, but I don't have to walk around and say like, hey, I've got it together. I don't. I struggle. I get angry a lot. Right, kids? Yeah, Remy's shaking her head. Reed is too. Uh, right, Justine? <laughs> you know, and it's like not even like big things. It's like we're five minutes late to church. This literally happened today. We're like a few minutes. We're not even late to church. I'm just like waiting for Remy because she's 10 now and decided to be a girl. And she's like getting dressed real slow instead of where she used to just like throw clothes on and run out the door with us. Now she's like, oh, let me try on this outfit. Let me try on that outfit. And I'm like, come on, we got to go. I got to be there in like five minutes. And she's like, yeah, I'm almost ready. And I walk in there and this is the normal case. And she's still wearing her pajamas. And I'm like, how is that almost ready? We don't know what that's like, do we, Casey? <laughs> Not at all. That's why one of the homework assignments is uh, pick out your outfit for tomorrow. That's yeah. what, Remy, you just got that. Good job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, like, I'm like, and then I'm like, let's go, hurry up, we got to go to church. And then I get into your side here, and I'm like, hey, how's it going, everybody? And they're like, how are you? Great, everything's great. And really inside, I know I just lost my temper, and I don't feel all that great. So you're saying that you didn't learn the lesson of transparency? Uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> That's why it's a learning thing. I think that what you brought up, though, is a difficult thing because in being transparent, especially we're up on the stage and you see various people get up on stage. And even if you aren't getting up on the stage, sometimes you feel like you don't know people and because other people aren't always transparent. You feel like, oh, if I open up a little bit, uh, everyone's going to judge me for that thing. And you don't know really where to draw the line about like, well, how much do I let somebody know? Right. Because you get up here and you're just like, man, I'm angry. And I was angry before coming to church today. And then you're up here trying to teach people and just like, well, why should I listen to the angry guy teach me anything about the Bible, right? Or, you know, any problems that I share. And I think that that's a hard thing because finding the level of transparency, the level of accountability, the level of relationship to be transparent with people and have grace for people as well, mm -hmm. right? Because especially sometimes someone might share something that's way outside of what we think is normal. But it's like, I've got that thing that I'm feeling awkward to share as well. So I think it takes a while. It takes definitely relationship building. It also takes somebody to do it first. Yes. I don't know. All, since all you guys said that you've been in the church for like, I don't know, decades upon decades, then you probably sat in groups where everybody just comes together and nobody is honest and real about what they're sharing. Just like, I can tell you just what this verse means. And even though it talks about something that's heartfelt, I'm just going to tell you what I read John MacArthur tell you about. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm actually going through. And it's like somebody's got to break it first. So Yeah, and that's why bringing it up for me at the beginning was just so important because it is the important part of what we do as a family. Uh, the transparency that we have here as a body is key to the body flourishing. It's also key to people coming in to be part of the body. Uh, one of the biggest thoughts that people outside of church have is that everyone in the church is perfect. If they're not perfect, then they're hypocrites because they pretend like they're perfect. And then a lot of that is true. Yes, we are hypocrites sometimes. So, uh, but wearing that and just saying like, yeah, we're not perfect. That's what's going to make people feel welcome. That's what's going to make people feel uh, that they fit in. Uh, a lot of times it's that idea that we want to belong somewhere. We want a place where we feel like we can just be ourselves. 
Um, I, the book, The Cure by John Lynch was an amazing book for me to really mm. unpack this. And one of the things he talked about was the mask that we wear sometimes and that we put that on. Um, and he said, what ultimately happens is the only thing that ever gets love is the mask. And all we end up doing is smelling the glue that attached the mask to our face. And we're not really receiving any of that love. Um, so then we just struggle with that. So it's really when you take off the mask and you expose that, that you can really fully receive the love that's trying to be given to you. Yeah, that is a really good book. And man, what a point. Because we all need to receive love. We were created to love and to receive love. And you're right, because other people honestly want to love you and want to love me. And they're trying. But when we have the mask there, it's like, they don't know, or to the extent that they don't know, it's just like, hey, I'm trying to love you, but they can only love like what you're putting forward. It's a really good point, which is also another really good motivator to work on taking it off because it's an isolating place. Yes. I was going to ask you, and I know that you kind of said that it came to just kind of a point with life came crashing down, but in working through being more transparent, either what was like one of the hard things or what was an aha moment in doing so or... You know, something that you've learned through that. Uh, it was really just the, the not feeling isolated. I think that's what helped a lot. Um, even when it came to like, oh, I have depression issues. And one of the big things was like my marriage. Justine had no way or know how how to handle me when I'm in that situation. She would just be like, why are you always moody? And I'm like, you're moody. And then now we're arguing and that helped nothing. Um, but it was figuring that out and then just being like, hey, this is what I have. And then like, her saying, how can I help you? And like, this is how you can help me. Talk to me. I know I'm not going to be responsive right away. I know I'm not going to probably give a long answer. But eventually something clicks and I get rolling and then I feel normal again. And so she, she does that. Or it's just like she checks up on me. How are you doing? Good. No, like how are you doing mentally? You know, oh, everything's good. Everything's fine. And I could be honest with her. Or I could text her when I have like a really low day. And like, hey, this is, this is where I'm at right now. Can you pray for me? And I don't feel isolated. And I also then have really kind of exposed the thing, right? Like when we talk about, uh, what is it CR's thing? Your, your secrets do what? You're as sick as your secrets? You're as sick as your secrets, yeah. Uh, that really is what will hold you down from growing. Uh, I feel like since I've done those things and really uh, added some other tools to helping to deal with it, uh, I could go longer stretches without really having an episode or an issue. Hmm. That's good. Again, as well in that is that with wearing a mask and not being transparent because we want to be something else or someone else to other people that we don't actually get the real life experience of being ourselves. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when, I don't know, just the thing of like when we pray and we're like, oh God, and we'll say the prayer of just like examine my heart and show me if anything's in there. But so often we don't even, he could be trying to speak to us, but we can't see that much in, you know what I mean? Because yeah. we're so used to the mask and we're trying to keep that. All right, your turn. I'm not talking about me. All right. So for me, first becoming a Christian, I mean, I was baptized at this church when I was, what, five? Is that right? Pastor Ken baptized me. I was five. I was a little kiddo. And he came in and I'll find it was on VHS. I got to show you. Pastor Ken had, remember when I had long hair? It was like all long. He had that and he had the big beard going on too. I think that's why he let me do it because he also used to look that way. <laughs> but it's kind of fun to look at him like he was totally from one of those bands. Um, but he baptized me, but that was when I was a kid. And then we went over, did missionary stuff and then came back from being missionaries. And I don't know, something changed. And I just like, I was 10 or 11 and just took a hard turn away. I stayed within the church as far as I was, would show up 
but as far as my faith and everything else, like I definitely wasn't having a Christian walk. I was the guy that would come in just smelling like weed because I would go smoke and go pick up some munchies and then come like, you know, and that was where I was at. So I wasn't even really open to hearing. And after things just progressed down that, but then I came back to Christ when I was about 19. So from 11 to 19, there just wasn't a Christian walk. But coming back in, I very quickly got involved. I was on fire for it. And then God felt God like call me into the ministry and was working with Pastor Bruce over at First Southern Baptist over by Bellflower High School. All that backstory was to say that as I was coming into it, one of the things that he told me, and Pastor Bruce is an older guy, and he said, I really thought that I was going to be so much further along by now. So here I am. I'm like, I just came back to Christ. I'm like, man, what are you talking about? I just left like a whole life. God's transforming my life. I'm so close to being perfectly Christ-like. Do you know how much sin God just delivered me from? And I'm hearing this guy who's been a pastor for like, I don't know how many decades. And he's like, I thought I'd be further. And I was like, that doesn't make sense for you to say that. And it really didn't make sense. So kind of how I was looking at it is that with that in mind, I really wish that I would have known that there was a lot of work, like a lifetime of work that I had to do but also not to give up on any progress that I would make along the way. Also giving that bit of background, it's like, man, uh, so I was raised in a Christian home, right? And being raised in a Christian home, being raised with all of that. And so I had some of that instilled in me. But when you have almost a decade of drug use and other forms of sin and everything else, it's like, that screws with your way of thinking. That screws with your view of God. That screws with what it is that you think that you know. And I guess I will wish I would have known that it was, how would I say it? Okay to be as messed up as I was kind of going with what you're talking with the transparency. I felt like God had taken me so far, but I didn't feel like it was okay to recognize how screwed up I was and how much is like, no, there's still work. Like don't get to a point to where things look okay. And then things are okay. It's like, let the work happen. But really on that, not to give up on any progress. Cause there's a lot of little things that as you're growing and they're really big deals as you first become a Christian. Like I had to get a hold of not cussing anymore and really watching my mouth a bit, right? And like, I saw some eyes go up on that one, all right. (laughs) God will take you there over time. But many other things. And when you realize what those struggles were and what you had to do to get to that point, right? The amount of prayers that go in, the amount of just like, I need to be in my Bible. I need to be doing these things. Again, it can kind of get to the point to where you feel like you've come far enough that you stop doing the basics. And then like, no, 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 I've been established now. And when you feel like you're established, then you just start doing things in your own power. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have a succinct way of saying it. Like you just said transparency. But I wish that I knew that it was okay to take my whole life to become more and more like Jesus. But I should not turn back on anything that I had learned. I just think of Jesus saying that if anybody puts their hand to the plow and then turns away, they're not fit to be my disciple. And Jesus says a lot of really strong things like that, that if you're in the point of shame or guilt, it can be like, oh, well, I screwed up, so I guess I'm not able to be a Christian anymore. (laughs) But for me, really taking is like, no, no, no. When you put your hand to the plow, keep moving forward, keep working. Don't get to the point of like, man, uh, I mean, statistically, and you guys know some of my testimony, like, I got free of porn. Just like, you're like, I worked super hard for that. And after a while, like, well, then I started watching 
a little bit of then there's R-rated movies and you see some stuff and you start allowing more and just like the struggle that you fight so hard for and then you just slowly back away from it and start losing it again. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's okay to take a lifetime, but don't ever turn back from what was hard fought victory. I remember we were talking about this uh, when we covered Second Peter. Uh, that's why I had to pull it up, and I'm I'm gonna not quote the right person for this, so I'm sorry. Uh, it was me. No, not you. <laughs> Someone way smarter than both of us. Uh, but they said, ah, she was it. Uh, but they said when you know, maybe it's Dallas Willard, one of those people. They said that you know uh, self control when it's like you've done something 99 times, but then that one time you don't react the same way you did the 99 times. Uh, and that's when you're on the like verge of self-control and everything. And I, I shared during that the story of uh, our dog, Bear, who um, developed this habit of peeing when he's afraid as a puppy. So anytime he doesn't like anything or isn't comfortable with something, he pees in the house, like just scared and runs into a corner. And it's very frustrating for me, again, temper issues. It's very frustrating for me because I'm like, we like to keep our house pretty clean and tidy and now there's dog pee on our floor and everything so i'm like frustrated uh most of the time i would just be like get so mad i throw him outside i'm like not physically like throw him outside but like get out of the house bear and just have him sit out there while i'm like trying to calm down but he broke that habit and the only part he still kept is when it came to give him a bath he like hates the bath he'll follow me everywhere in the house but when i have all his bath stuff ready in our shower to give him a bath he just will not follow me. And I'm like, Bear, come on. I have treats. I'm doing the whole, come on. Who's a good boy? Come here. And he's like looking at me and I can see he's nervous and he's shaking. I think it's because he knows you're the guy that yells at him and throws him out of the house. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an anxious dog. This guy yells at me. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. We worked now he's being nice. Like this is kind of. We worked see, through a lot of that. Yeah. So I went over there and I knew if I could get him close enough, I could grab him. If I could put him in the shower, I could close the door. He can't get out. And then we start the process and it all works. Uh, and as he got closer, I went to grab him, and when I did, he, like, scurried away, and then he, when he left, I just saw pee all over our bedroom floor, and I'm like, that's this is what's going on in my head, the frustration. All right, how did Remy do this last time? Cheerios. Grabbed a Cheerio, put it in the shower, he walked in there, I closed the door, I cleaned up the pee mess, and then we had a good time taking a bath together. He washed my back. I washed his. It's a good moment. Uh, <laughs> that didn't happen, the, that part. But that really made me think of what you were saying. Transparency. Yeah, the, yeah too much transparency. <laughs> that made me think of what you were talking about was just there are moments in our Christian life when we're like, yeah, I did it. I accomplished it. I got there. And then it's like two minutes later, we could almost fail in the same way. Uh, but it doesn't mean that that's where we stop. It's you keep moving forward. You keep moving forward. It's like what Paul said. I press on. Mm-hmm. It's always pressing on towards the goal. And the goal is just developing a healthy relationship with God. And the best way we can is by eliminating some of those things in our lives. The the hard part is some of those things are deep rooted. Um, we had birds of paradise in the front of our house when we first moved in, and I end up having a bad allergic reaction to them. So we were like chopping them out but they told us if you don't pull everything out it grows again and sure enough we we thought we did it and there were spots where like birds of paradise were coming back up and i was like oh we got to get back in the soil and rip that thing up um the only way i really eliminated it was my sawzall and i just went in there all crazy serial killers out chopping things up we got rid of it but uh, yeah if you don't take care of things 
they can grow back up. But the idea isn't to give up, right? That's what you're saying. The idea is to keep working at getting them out. Yeah, um, working on getting out, not to give up. Uh, how do I say it? I'll come back to it. But kind of within that, I'd written on another note with it is that along that thing of realizing like there's a lifetime of work is to just focus on the action of obedience because there's so much that can happen within like Christian life and you get involved in the church and there's so many different things talking to so many different so many different people speaking so many different things I'm like what's important get involved in this and do this and do this and everybody's talking about all this stuff all of a sudden then it almost seems like there's a lack of focus on just being obedient to Jesus and for me just bringing back to that thing of like man what I wish I knew sooner with realizing like no, no, it's going to take you a lifetime to really let God in and weed all this stuff through. What's the one thing to keep in front of you? Just focus on the act of obedience because that's what's going to clear it all up. It's to just keep bringing it back to obedience, even though it's like, oh, I slipped up or I'm trying not to slip. I was like, well, what fixes that is obedience. Obedience and uh, repentance, obedience and asking for forgiveness, obedience and making amends, obedience and not doing the thing anymore or starting to do the thing that I should have been doing. So it's really just keeping obedience central, I think, within that. My turn again? Yeah. All right. Um, which one? Let's go with this one. Uh, my view of God. I think this is something I wish I knew earlier. Uh, growing up as a Christian, it was a very like somewhat strict household that we were raised in. Uh, so then, you know, when you get raised up in church and you're like, God's your father. And then you're like, well, there's my dad. There's the equation of like, well, if this is my earthly father and God's my father. Are they somewhat the same? And so for us, if we did something wrong, there was always a punishment. So my dad would come home and say, uh, you guys got in trouble? Yeah, I mean, this was the 80s, so let's whip those butts. And that's what happened. We got whipped. Um, or discipline in other ways. I played sports a lot. So it was like, if you messed up, you're running laps. That almost became my view of God, or it did become my view of God. If I did something wrong, then when something bad happened to me, it was just punishment. And it just became something I accepted. And what that did was it really crippled my relationship with God. It, it hindered it from actually moving forward beyond that. It wasn't, again, it really, I guess I'm going to keep plugging John Lynch's book, The Cure. Just go out and buy it. Um, it was a really good eye-opening book for me when I was reading it. But in there, he, he had this whole chapter. Of, there's two gods. There's the God of the Bible, and then there's the God we start creating through our own experiences, through our own knowledge, and through what? we think God is. And that's the part that just hit me. And I was like, that's what I did. Um, I made the two similar and that just really, really messed things up for me. So uh, breaking that habit of saying like, no, not everything that happens bad in my life is a punishment because stuff just happens in life. Like stuff happens. Um, but really separating the two. Isn't that weird that we're just like, there's God and God is good and God's our good father. And like there is the enemy, the devil, he's out to kill, steal and destroy. And then something bad happens and we're like, no, that's a punishment from God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's not like there's an enemy that's out to screw things up and whatnot. Or we just don't even equate it to like, oh, I did something really stupid right now. Um, we just like, nope, that was God. The One of the examples I give for this is I was driving to take my dad lunch one day from work and uh, I had got a ticket and I was like, I deserve this ticket right now today um, because I did something wrong. Really, what happened was I didn't make a complete stop at a red light and turned in front of a cop, and I didn't notice that there was a cop there, and then he pulled me over. The reality was I just didn't follow the law, 
and did something wrong because I was in a rush because I was doing what I normally do, thinking I could get somewhere in 20 minutes in five minutes. So really, it was just my dumb that got me the ticket. But during that moment, you know, it just felt like, oh, this is punishment from God. So many things I think that God uses to get our attention, though, right? Because things that we should know if we took a driving test, like, no, no, you stop before you turn and you know all the stuff. But I have a much worse experience of of such a thing is that I just used to speed everywhere. You're talking about getting somewhere 20 minutes away in five minutes. Mm -hmm. I just used to drive as fast as possible every time I was driving. So I don't know. And that little Hyundai accent that I had, just (laughs) flooring it. I don't think it could go any faster than I could make it go. But in my mind, when I did get a ticket, I was just like, oh, well, that's only like five cents for every time that I sped. And the way that you can justify things, right? And it's dumb. Rationale. Yeah, Yeah, rationale. And the amount of times that I would be driving and see a cop, I'm like, oh, I better slow down real quick, right? And just the ways that, like, God will use his law, our conviction, other people, circumstances, all of the things to try to get our attention before it comes to the point of, like, punishment or follow through or, like, hey, I need to stop you before you hurt yourself or someone else. You know what I mean? And to where it's, hey, getting your attention right there, you're probably a lot more aware now of I should come to a complete stop. Yeah. You should be a lot more aware now of I should come to a complete stop. Same thing with me. It's just like, I don't really speed anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, yeah, 65, I can do that. Hit cruise control and like be okay. And But, you know, God can use circumstances that seem like, oh, this is a punishment. But what is it? Doesn't the Bible say something about that God is a good father and he disciplines those he loves? And if you're being disciplined by God, then it shows that you're his child. Mm -hmm. So even that's a mindset for me. I was like a rebellious kid. So it's like, I don't want to be disciplined for anything ever. I want to do all the bad things and also get all of the benefit. I'm just like, no, like discipline is a good thing to be able to bring you into like a right way of living. Yeah. So yeah, getting that, you said that your point was a view on God. Yeah. And I I really think that's the big part of it is that uh, a lot of times we can then start saying, well, my God wouldn't do this and my God's not like that. Um, Without actually looking at what the word says and what God is, uh, my viewpoint was my God punished me every time I did something wrong. Uh, But in a lot of cases, it could be completely different for everyone. We can create God uh, when we start saying, well, my God isn't this way or my God isn't that way if it's outside the realm of what the Bible says about him. Um, But what we do know, I mean, the Bible's filled with our God is gracious, loving, compassionate. Uh, It it talks about his character. It also talks about his justice and his judgment. Um, And those are all character traits of him. Um, One of my favorite ones that I've learned recently is that he's jealous for us. And that one I really love because he's jealous for me. He's not jealous of me. Like we think of jealousy of like, oh, like Matt sitting in the back, and I, everyone knows what I'm jealous about Matt. He's taller than me, right? He's good looking? No, I'm better looking than Matt. <laughs> uh, but he's taller than me. Whenever we played sports, Matt would be like, oh, I'm going to shoot this ball. He's so far away and swatted it. You know, I'm like, how does he do this? Or we're running for a football, and I jump up in the air, and I'm like, I got it. And he just like is standing there, reaches over my head, and pulls it. Uh, but that's like jealous for something. Uh, but God's jealous or are jealous of something. God's jealous for us, meaning he wants us. He wants a relationship with us. Yeah, I, was, and, I was listening to a podcast. And I didn't write which one because I like to just write down quotes and then pretend like they're mine. Like, I, I don't know where it came from. So if I say it, I don't know. Um, but it was talking about jealousy is a feeling you get when you think you're about to lose something that belongs to you. So God being jealous for us is because we belong to him and he doesn't want to lose us to anything that so much far less than what we're created for. So just thinking of that thing with jealousy is... Yeah. Yeah. 
like we tend to be like, oh, I'm jealous because I don't want to lose my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or whatever. It's like, no, we're created for God, mm-hmm. and for us to for him to like lose us in relationship to when we look at it, it's all stupid. Yeah, all the other stuff. So that that's really where it came down to getting a great view of who God is really helps enhance the relationship that we could have with him, and that's something I've said already twice, and I think that's the key ingredient to what we do is that it's all about a relationship with God and it's our relationship with God and how are we going to enhance that and make that better um, and it's just like you said earlier through obedience obedience is one way that helps our relationship with God um, but it's you know I, and it's like what I tell the kids right do you love me you know you could say you love me but if you're not doing what I ask then you're telling me you don't love me um, and that's the same we do with God is that when we, we're not following what he's asking then we're kind of in a sense saying yeah, I don't really love you as much as I say I do. Yeah, I know when I get to the question response time, but just on that thing of love and obedience is that a lot of times we might equate love to like, well, I don't want to do it if it's empty hearted, right? If I'm not really feeling it because not really loving, like then I'm just going through the motions. But it's like for us to get a correct view and perspective on that is that to love God and to love others is to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. Is that if I was in my right mind, this is how I should be feeling on how to treat you. So I'm going to treat you that way even when I don't feel like it. And it's not like I'm putting on a facade about it. It's like, no, no, this is how you deserve to be treated. So I'm going to do that. And I think that yeah, when it comes to obedience to God, when, you know, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. You know, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're feeling distant, even when you're feeling ashamed, it's just like, no, it's the right way to love. Yeah, I, I grew up uh, with the idea that Everything was about heaven, which, yeah, there's that. But the bigger part of it is the relationship with God. Uh, So when I was little, um, my dad showed us those videos, The Thief in the Night. These are old. They're like the 80s rapture movies, like kind of like the Left Behind stuff. (laughs) My brother's shaking his head. (laughs) Yeah, they were traumatizing to any kid who was born from 80 to 90-something. I think you guys had the same experience. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it was like The Thief in the Night, The Prodigal Son, The Mark of the Beast. They're all on Amazon right now. So if you want to check them out, the Thief in the Night starts off with a really great song, too. I think you put that on one of the episodes. I think I did, yeah. the Left Behind one. Um, so, like, we grew up with this trauma of, like, I got to do what God wants me to do or else I'm going to get left behind. And one day I went out to go pick up our dog's poop, and uh, it was a Sunday, and my brother and sister had already went to church because they went earlier. I stayed to go with my parents. Well, I guess they thought I went with them, and they left. And I walked in the house after picking up the dog's poop, and I was like, Where's everyone? Where'd everyone go? And I was like, I got, I got left behind. I was left behind. This isn't fair. First of all, that was my first thing. Why is Anthony gone and not me? Like, this isn't fair. And then second was like, Lorenzo too? Come on. Like, you're, this is messed up now. I, could, I understand mom and Angela, but me and them? So I was very, like, angry first. And then I was afraid. And I was like, I've, I've been left behind. This is, this is it. Uh, until rationale kicked in, I was like, maybe they all went to church. I'm going to walk to church. And then Anthony came and picked me up almost when I was almost there. And I realized I didn't get left behind. But, like, you know, that's the, the view and the fear that sometimes we create. And it's all, like, just what's in our head of what happens. Yeah. So much of what we think about God is just put in there by pop culture. Like the ways that we think about hell is like, that's mostly Dante's Inferno, not the Bible, right? And the things that we think about what's going to happen in the end times, that's the Left Behind series. That's Tim LaHaye. That's not the Bible, right? Oh, man. Am I taking shots at Tim LaHaye on our podcast? I don't know who that is, so go for it. He wrote the Left... Oh. 
the Left Behind. I didn't read Left Behind. I was traumatized by the early generation. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to do that yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> I was done. Like, forget this there's, stuff. There's biblical stuff in there. It's not a complete shot. But yeah, we no. Well, I'll save the rapture conversation for another one and how the Ryrie Bible brought all that into existence. But whew. I'm done. You want to go to the question and response time? Yeah. No, all someone's right. going to ask, what's that Ryrie thing that you're talking about? <laughs> all right. So this is just a, you'll have a few minutes to just, if anyone wants to ask a question, we'll respond. I like now to say question and response because I'm not saying this is an answer. I'm just giving you my response or, or just... any comments. Also, that's another thing. If you want to add to it, if you have an answer to this and you want to give it, then you could also do that. I think uh, what I heard was the main word was obedience. Do you think that Jesus was never doubted for a minute that we could be obedient? So the question was, the main word that it seemed like, I'm assuming you're talking about with me, was obedience. And do I think that Jesus ever doubted that we could be obedient? Oh, I'm answering it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's um, towards you. I think that he didn't have a doubt about the obedience because if we're looking at obedience and you brought up the thing about perfection and a lot of times we can look at that coming as like perfect obedience means that we're never going to sin and never going to mess up and that we're going to keep it all perfectly is that you could keep in the Old Testament, you could keep the Torah, you could keep the law perfectly even though you sinned because part of the law was God providing the sacrificial system to, to make atonement for the sin. Right. So God was never putting out there like, oh, these people are never going to sin. He's putting out there. Here's how to handle the thing appropriately and still be able to come to me with this. Does that make sense? So there was the law. Keep the Ten Commandments and keep the other 600 coming after that and all those things. Right. Keep all of those things and you're to keep those. But if you are to sin or fall short, one, like you said, sometimes there's just the consequence of the law coming at you. But then there also is the sacrificial to come and make amends for your sin. Silas liked that answer. So I, I believe it's the same thing in following Christ, right? Is that you see that in First John where John says, little children, I'm writing these things to you that you would not sin. But then a few verses later, he's saying, and if any of you do sin, you can come and confess your sins to Christ for he is faithful and just to forgive you. So it's like you're writing them to me so that I won't sin. But yet you're telling me that if I do sin, I can still be made clean and righteous. So when it comes to, do I think that Jesus expected that we can be obedient? Absolutely. Do I think that in keeping that obedience, we're still going to be flawed people figuring things out? Absolutely. And I don't think that I'm trying to wriggle my way around it. I just see those two things as being in tension with each other. I don't know if you have anything to add. I just think about Abraham, who was considered a friend of God, right? Uh, but Abraham was a liar a couple of times, did some wrong stuff. Um, then you think of David, who was a man after God's own heart. And David was a murderer, had an affair did tons of things. Um, and with even those two examples, they had those. Oh, and then there's Moses. Moses like killed somebody, but he's called the servant of God throughout scripture. Um, even then there's Saul, King Saul, right? So then King Saul was like uh, just disobedient, right? He just didn't follow what Samuel was saying, but then the kingdom was stripped from him. He did way less, if you were to think of like the rules and the list of obedience compared to David, but David was a man after God's own heart. And Saul wasn't. And I think that's the separation is that in everything Saul did, it was going after kind of Saul's kingdom as where David was really looking to establish a God kingdom or at least kind of always running back to God whenever he felt like he did something wrong. And I think to me, uh, can we be obedient? It was Yeah, uh, but I'm going to mess up. Where do I go after that? I go back to God and I go back to him and I try to move forward with that relationship. 
thing, the thing that comes to mind is the woman that was caught in adultery, but the man wasn't caught, the woman was caught. And at the end of the day, when everything's cleared up, Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. She had an expectation. Yeah, so for the mic, when the woman caught in adultery, when she was caught, Jesus said, go and sin no more. Yeah, and that's where we get, even in the Bible, there's those lists of people who will not make it into the kingdom, right? And there's several different ways that that's listed out, whether it's in Revelation or Paul's talking about the works of the flesh and that we're not to be overtaken by those things. And there is a thing of, um, even where Paul says that how can you keep on sinning? How's he, how's he phrase it? That grace would abound? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you consider yourself dead to sin. So I think that there's a lot in there that, I guess that's also the distinction of a lifestyle of sin, right? The woman caught in adultery seemed to have been a lifestyle of adultery. And it's like, go and sin no more. Versus if you're working through coming into obedience, like, yeah, there's are stumblings that can happen. But overall, yeah, I think it's pretty clear cut in the scripture when there's, hey, here's a lifestyle you shouldn't live. And where Jesus says, come and learn from me and I'll teach you. In that teaching process, I think it's a process bringing you through. I definitely, through my own experience, can say that God's spirit moving into your life can cut things out in a clear-cut way. It's just like, I was doing coke and meth and heroin and everything, and then the next week I wasn't, right? And it's just like, that was my experience. Now I struggled with other things that took longer, and if you come to CR, you get all kinds of people that struggle through other things that can take longer. But it's the lifestyle shift that's happening. So, yeah, I think that really big on the go and sin no more is like, whoa, you need to shift your lifestyle away from that thing. Anyone else question or response? Well, things I wish I knew sooner in my Christian walk was to not disable obedience, but to learn God's love. If I follow God's love, then I don't have a problem with disobedience because I try to do everything that pleases Him. And, um, and the desires that that once captivated me, they disappear, not completely like you're saying, but in time they start to go away. So his understanding his love, God's love, not the love the way we understand it, but God's love, it, it kind of keeps, it's not that obedience is not important, it is, but when you kind of want to love God, you do things to please him. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of removes even the the disobedience and punishment mentality because you're moving on love. You know you're a child of God. You know you're growing. You know you're maturing in the things that I did as a kid. Now that I grew up and I'm a man, I no longer, I'm no longer captivate. I'll let you sum that up. Oh, all right. I'll sum that up. Uh, so basically, uh, for the microphone, that's what you're saying? For the microphone. Um, that instead of trying to stop being disobedient, embracing God's love and loving him back. And I think that's a really important thing, too. I'm glad you brought that up, um, is that that's the struggle I think we all get into when we start being a Christian. It's like, okay, I've got to stop doing this, this, and this. Um, but then the struggle is, like, I'm trying to stop doing this, this, and this, and I'm trying to stop it. And what we run into is just we're going to fail because it's all my efforts. Uh, when I move into loving God, then God takes over, and I'm just trying to love God more than anything else. Um, I think it's called replacement something, but like basically uh, when you replace one habit with another bad habit, so uh, I still do it, but if I'm chewing gum, I won't bite my fingernails, but all I'm really doing is moving from one thing to another thing, and the idea is that if you make God the thing you love more than the thing that you 
are doing, uh, that other thing's going to diminish. You're going to love God more than you're going to love uh, whatever the vice is, and then that's going to slowly go away because you're just trying to love God. Yeah. And you belongers, you'll probably have heard me said it's not just about stopping doing the negative, but starting doing the positive, right? Because if all you're trying to do is stop being disobedient, it's like that's not what the point is. You're supposed to live in the positive aspects of what it means to be spirit-filled. So definitely, I'm with you. You focus on walking in the spirit-filled, and you're not even thinking about the things of the flesh anymore, which I think is what Romans 8 is getting at a little bit. That's good. Anyone else? Question, response? Yeah. Um, I guess sort of like a thing that I wish like I would have known when I first became Christian was what sin actually is. And it's not simply just doing, it's not a necessarily just like an action, it's an existence of either doing what you're not supposed to do or not doing what you're supposed to do in terms of that. I remember we talked about that at like a random belong event and I was so like, wait, what? I just, and I never really like knew of sin in that term, so I wish I would have understood that more when I first became a Christian and first started even like at a young age because when you're a kid I only understood sin as you do a bad thing that's it so it was a very like one-dimensional view of it as opposed to actually yeah so to learn early on more of what sin is in its fullness which is hard because when you're a kid and you're learning just like a lot of things like you get you bring it in but there's the aspect of sins which are all of the actions that can come out symptomatically and then there's sin which is the thing that paul says i find that there's this thing that lives in me that's sin and it's always opposed to god and it will never submit to him and it's always opposed to so yeah the nature of sin that's in there that's just like that's the thing that's in you that drives you to do any of these other number of things yeah. I heard this and I thought it was pretty interesting. I don't have a full flush thought with it, but the idea was Go ahead, that that's all about yeah, yeah, it's really what <laughs> we do anyways. Um most of the time is that hardly in the Bible you hear the word is sins like with an s, uh but a majority of the time it's sin. So you think of Cain and Abel that when uh God was warning Cain it was sin is crouching at your door and almost in a sense that it's like an actual thing like a being or a presence so uh, when you look at it that way that it's what I'm battling is sin it's not the actions of what I'm doing but it's actually something that's trying to corrupt my life uh, then I think you're looking at it almost more on the spiritual level and then you mm-hmm. could pray you know that's why it's the Paul's are like put on that armor of God armor up because it is a battle um, it's not a battle with people and in the flesh but it's a spiritual thing so when we do think of sin sometimes it's like you're saying Shelby the actions uh, but it, it, a lot of times it's the, the presence. Again, not fully flushed out. Just research that. That might not be 100% accurate. Yes. I think it, I believe it's the, the word. If you read the word, you think, well, I'll do this and I'll stop. And it's the word. If you don't know the word, then you don't have the power because the word is alive. And that is the key that will keep you from doing something want to do that prevents you from doing that because you know you know the word and the word is truth you know it's not a hand that will stop you it's the word that's within you it's mm-hmm. the power of God it's the word of God it's the breath of God it's the, the Holy Spirit yeah. a lot of us want to do things but we can't do it on our own we have to have the knowledge of the so 
kind of what I'm hearing you say is where the scripture would say that uh, my spirit is will- willing, but my flesh is weak. And you're saying that to come into that is to get into the word and stay in the word because the word is coming from the spirit and um, is the truth. And as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. So when we're looking at these things, as we're saying that we've been Christians for X amount of years, right? We can come into just the knowledge that we have of like, oh, here's the way that I want to move in my life. But it's like, well, I haven't really been reading my Bible at all. And I haven't really been praying at all and all this stuff. And it's like, we can know the right thing, but the power to move in that is to really be in the word and stay in the word. Cool. When I just say, my mother, who was a smoker and a drinker in her life, and she <clears throat> she became a Christian, and she read that her body was a, was a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. She stopped it right there. And it was the power of the word that did it because she had been trying to stop smoking. There's a lot of things we want to do, but do we really want to? I mean, the things that we want to stop, but do we really want to? That's one thing we have to examine ourselves. Do I really want to stop this? But it's the power of God. It's just in his will for our lives. I think of like a Jericho march. Right, and when they were walking around Jericho, and like they were given an instruction, be silent, and then on the seventh day you shout, right? And then Jericho fell, and then uh, they went in there and won the city. Uh, but when you think about it, what did they do? Did they conquer Jericho? Did they knock down the walls of Jericho? No, they just followed God's instructions, which led to a victory in their life. And it was really God who defeated the enemy. And that's what the story of the Bible is. It is God defeating the enemy. And if we just walk in his mm-hmm. obedience, then we just claim the victory. Like, it's winning without doing anything. And for me, like, that's the best form of winning. I like winning in life, but if I could win and not do anything, then I'm like, that's double win right well, there. It's like not, not doing anything, because it does require action on our yeah. part of the obedience, right? Because if the Israelites never marched around, it, it yeah. wouldn't happen. So it's us go- coming alongside but it, it is a good point. And I think that to build off of another thing that you had said, Josie, with just coming in and do you really want to stop or do you really want to change? I think if we're honest with ourselves sometimes, like we can have the Christian answer that we would tell anybody else in that room, in this room. But then there's also the other thing like, no, I'd kind of like continuing in this and maybe not getting caught for a while. That's really it. In which case our prayer needs to be, God, I don't want to, and I need you to work repentance in me because I know that my heart isn't right. And I know that I'm desiring something that's not right. And I don't really see like the desire to. So God, please grant me the repentance to change. And then, yeah, it might be a Jericho type thing. You're like, okay, well, you want to find repentance? Here's what you need to go around it. Um, I think we've got a couple more things and we can do another question response time. Yeah. Chris Murdoch, it is so awesome to be able to share this space and this time to celebrate your 100th episode. We're so thankful for all that you do for the kingdom and for all that you do for everyone who listens. Yeah, thank you for dividing the word of truth rightfully for all of our church friends and yours. Thank you for inviting us on. It was an honor to be on an episode ourselves. And we just always love that you're like covering the Bible to help people that might struggle with that kind of follow along and learn parts that they had never really considered before. So congratulations. And man, we're keeping y'all in prayer for what, you, what God brings in the future. Amen. Amen. Pantry out. Bye. Bye. just want to say congratulations to your church friends on the 100th episode. Chris and Murdoch, you guys are amazing. And I'm truly blessed to get to listen to every episode. I hope every episode after this is amazing. And just this one is amazing. 
Peace. Hey, congratulations, Chris and Murdoch. It's your friend Brian Moore from Crosspoint Church. And uh, well done on 100 episodes, man. I celebrate with you guys, and I'm rooting you guys on as you swing for the fences. So I'm eager to get the next thing because I yeah. get to talk about people from a next point of Go things ahead. that I wish that I'd known. Go ahead. All right. Floor is yours. I get to talk about people. So becoming a Christian, for the most part, means that you're going to be around other Christians, other people, other believers, other people in the church, right? And a couple points that I have for that is that that's an important thing. The church is an important thing. And when we look at our walk with God, so much of the way that the gospel is presented, it's about you, you as an individual, you are a sinner and you need forgiveness and you want to go to heaven. And so much of what we've brought the gospel to be, the story of the gospel, we bring it down to theological word, soteriology, which is about your personal salvation. And your personal salvation is a part of the gospel, but it's not the fullness of the gospel. And you can go back to the Reformation where Luther came in and kind of changed that a little bit. And then you can come into where the revivalists, if you go back in church history and see where the message of the gospel really got down to, you're a sinner, you want to go to heaven, so you need forgiveness to get there. And just like, that's super important. I'm glad we all need forgiven and that's part of it. But it brings our Western idea of salvation into very individual. I was running that way when I first became a Christian. It's about like, well, I need, as we've been talking about, I need to like get myself straightened out. I need to stop my sin. I need to start my obedience and I need to do this. And it's so much about I, I, I. And so my, one of my points here is that the fulfillment isn't, the fulfillment of the gospel isn't my holiness in a vacuum, but it's each of us stirring each other up to love and good works. Because each of us can only go so far by ourselves until it gets to the point that where what God wants to see on this earth and what Jesus died for here on this earth is for the restoration of humanity, is for all of us to get set right in what that looks like together. And there's such an individual mindset that kind of needs to die to being able to come into the greaterness of everybody. And honestly, what I've come to find is that there's a lot of things that I can be struggling through personally that I'm not going to be able to fix personally. It's only going to come through my involvement in the church community that I'll find restoration for myself in that place. Just like we were talking about earlier, the transparency is like, who are you going to be transparent with, Chris? yourself right but to be able to come in just like because then you're isolated and you do this stuff is like the solution to isolation you can't find that by yourself like it can only be solved by coming around other people it can only be solved by taking off that mask that you're talking about and truly seeing other people and being seen so i just think that what i wish that i known earlier is like it's very important for each of us and for me to take my personal walk seriously but i didn't understand at the beginning how much more so it was on the community level. There's like, no, no, get yourself straight so that you can enter into this other thing. And it's like step one, step two, and there's so much more that happens on that community level. Um, and then even when it comes down to like, well, what's my point? Am I coming to church so that I can hear the word for me? It's because Pastor Ken needs to tell me the thing because like my life is just made up of my two biggest problems and the thing that I'm struggling against, right? We're like, no, 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 I'm here. And I get to meet with somebody and I get to stir them up to something good. And I get to be of a word of encouragement. I get to pray with somebody else. I get to see the thing that's happening and I'm not going to try and find a ministry leader to do it to whatever I'm capable of. I'm ministering to people. So it really is that activating force that happens. Um, and then the other thing talking about people is, <laughs> I really wish that I knew at the beginning, 
Um, that most of the people that you run across in the church know very little, little biblically, even if they speak like they do. But that doesn't prevent them from discipling me in Christ-likeness. The more that I've learned about the Bible, the more that I've learned about the way that Christianity can just break itself off into smaller, smaller denominations, and the amount of times that I've heard different denominations say, we are the true church, and everybody else has it wrong, and you've got all these different doctrines and all these different things, and people are pitted against each other, and everybody's saying that they really know the thing, and then dig a little deeper, and it's just like, oh, you've not read from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, you don't know what happened at the Reformation. Oh, you don't know what happened at the early councils. Oh, you've never read the early church fathers. You only know what you learned in Sunday school, and you've done a lot with that. But what I found when I was early on is that everybody presents themselves as a Bible expert, and very rarely does anybody actually have that depth that's there. But I'm not taking that as a full knock against people, because I know some of the most godly people that I've come across can't read or haven't read the Bible all the way through, but have been able to show me the heart of Christ on how to love people, of how to walk with grace, of how to walk with mercy, of how to exhibit the full fruit of the Spirit, that it's really holding those two things in tension of just like when it comes to Bible stuff, it's like a mountain of salt sometimes when people are talking. Because people will come and just like, let me tell you, you're not actually saved and let me tell you why. It's like, dang, I really thought that the Holy Spirit coming in and transforming me did it, but now some stranger's telling me because he has a picket sign on the corner and apparently I don't meet his vision of what save looks like, right? There's all kinds of stuff about what the Bible looks like to different people. And to a mode when you're starting off, you're trying to learn the Bible. And I'm not saying don't have a distrust for people, but I really wish that I would have known more of the like, oh, kind of the general biblical literacy is really low, but you can still find people. And the importance is, Whoever's talking about the Bible or maybe not even talking that much of a game about the Bible, but if they have a life that I want to follow, how do I learn what they know about the Bible and how it made them to be how they are? So kind of those things together, the importance of people and of coming into the community. And then as you come into the community, realizing like, oh, (laughs) here's the general, uh, what this looks like a little bit with Bible stuff. But again, trying to find somebody that you can follow, finding a mentor, finding someone to disciple you. And I guess that's kind of when I first came into church, a lot of discipleship was like, hey, let me teach you a book of doctrines rather than let me teach you how to live a life that looks like Christ. And both are important. Doctrine's super important. I think people in Belong have probably heard me say like several times that I don't think that the point for the church right now is to get everybody to believe the same doctrine. It's to follow the same Christ. Because the Church of Christ and the Baptists and the Southern Baptists and, you know, the Pentecostal friends that we have and then the Bapticostals that tend to fuse the two together, it's like, as long as we're following the same Christ, it's like if we're trying to pick on each other for forms of doctrine when nobody's really reading their Bible to that extent— which is, that's also not okay. We are more blessed than any generation that you have any translation you want. You can have it read to you. You can do all this stuff. And to just not be learning your Bible right now, it's only a detriment to yourself. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that's why I was wanting to say that. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to hear any more questions from anybody. Uh, I'm going to tie my last one and then... Uh, you could do yours. I oh, you don't want to comment on that one. Well, it ties in. It fits. <laughs> uh, is how to read the Bible. Mm. Uh, 
I've been a Christian forever. I read my Bible so many times. I once did it in three months only because my dad did it in four. So I had to do it in three. It was I have that 90 day plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a uh, point proven and I didn't really grasp a lot of it. I was just reading the thing. And there are things that I knew and understood surface level, but I wasn't really understanding it. And now the Bible just is so much more alive in my life. And I can remember when I picked it up for the first time, it was after the Thrive Conference we went to in 2019. And I picked that thing up and I just opened up to Matthew and I read. And I read one chapter a day and I read another chapter the next day and I just kind of made it my thing. I'm going to do one chapter a day until I got to Psalms 119. There's no way I'm doing that chapter in a day. So I like broke it up into chunks. Uh, but it was just one chapter a day. I finally finished reading that Bible um, January 5th of this year from every page, every chapter. And I bounced around. I didn't kind of go in an order. I just went, started here. There was no real rhyme or reason, but what ended up really happening. And it was like this cool thing I started noticing as I grew and studied more was what the Bible was actually saying. Um, you know, a lot of times people want to look at it and say, this is a history book. And although it tells a history, it's not a history book. Or they want to say, no, it's a book of science, or it's a philosophy book, or it's a law book, and it's all these things. And what really helped me grasp the depths of it is that it's none of those things. It's a love story. From the beginning to the end, it's a love story to us. That God loves us so much, and he wants to tell the tale of how we now have salvation and redemption through him, and how we can now have a relationship with him. And that really just transformed my understanding of it. Uh, things made more sense. When I read something that confused me before, I was like, I don't get this. And now I look at it and I'm like, I get it. It's him telling me his love. It's showing his love uh, through the lives of so many people. Uh, but for us, and that was the other thing I had to learn was that I can't read uh, the Bible with the mentality of living in 2023. When I read it with this lens, I read it improperly. I have to put myself in the time and what the people were going through during those times and take off my lenses of how I see it because then it starts making more sense because you're seeing it from their perspective and you're not questioning as much as you used to. You're like, I get it. So, yeah, that, that was my last one. Yeah, reading the Bible in context is huge, and that requires a level of study because the difference between reading your Bible and then studying and there's a depth and a depth and a depth to where when you're saying like, man, before I would just read it and you weren't really getting it. It's like that really provided, though, for you a foundation to be able to come back at it again, to be able to put things in their proper place and then build off of it. Oh, that. there are times That's when I was I reading believe. it this last time. Mm. I was like, when did this get put in the Bible? I was like, I've, I know I've read this thing like so many times, but. Is that when it came to the book of Zephaniah? You're like, oh, we're yeah. doing a podcast on that. <laughs> I, I literally study this book. There. I didn't even know it was in there. Uh, no, it's just more of like there are just certain mm -hmm. uh, stories or words. And I was just like. Why didn't no one tell me the Psalms were that great? I read them. When did, why didn't no one tell me Romans was that great? And people are like, we've been telling you. You just don't listen. Uh, but, you know, it's just with fresh eyes. I think that was the real key is uh, removing the, any lenses that you have. Uh, even a book of Revelation right now when I look at it, it's not like a scary, intimidating book like it used to be when I was little and thought anytime I was left alone, I got left behind. Uh, I, I look at this as a, so differently because of it. Yeah, and just... Simple stuff on the context, like when you look at, because a lot of people look at the Bible in today's age and a lot of stuff that we we'll want to like put back on is like, oh, it's archaic and look at the way that things that it has in there and the way that it treats people and whatnot. 
one of the simplest things when you look at the New Testament of when it says something like, uh, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives, right? In today's age, people look at him like, it's telling women to submit to men. And if you don't have the proper context, you don't realize that the Bible was a book that told men to love women in a time when literally the most common knowledge that was happening from like the great minds back then is that at most women might have been like a different species of human. But before that, it's just like, no, they're just purely property. They're not even human. A revolutionary idea before the Bible coming along is like, yeah, they might be like another type of a human but what it was is the baby was supposed to become a male, but something happened and ended up becoming a female. So it's just a lesser human at that point. But it's just like that was like the peak of where they were looking at women. And it's just like to love a woman was completely outside of anything in the ancient world. So in our day and age, people are just like, wives are supposed to submit to husbands. That's causing uproar. It's like, do you know what an uproar it caused for men to be commanded to love their wives? And it's just like, but again, context makes a big difference when we're trying to see what it is that got, gets brought. Then even when we're looking at today's age, how many things are built off of Christian thinking to where we take it for granted. A lot of the people that want to bash on the Bible don't realize how many things came from the Bible. So context is great, especially ancient Near Eastern context when you get in the Old Testament. But that's like 18 other projects. That will do a whole series on that. Yeah. All right. My last thing. And then we'll do the questions. When I first... Things I wish I knew sooner. You, you told me you had like eight of these, so do you... I combined a lot. Oh. No, I'm looking at it because I wish that I knew that when it comes to following Jesus, that there was nothing else worth holding on to. Even the shame when you fail to let go. What I mean by that is... So I can have the testimony. There's like, man, God took away all the drug life and all the different things. But as I was growing closer with him and things would come to where he would ask me to give up certain things and to follow him and have a level of sacrifice to be obedient. And whether it was putting me into a situation and seeing if I would speak up with people or share or, you know, provide out of what I had or, you know, just what the different things were, I could tell in different areas where he was asking me to let go of things and to grab onto him and to follow him into a life with him. And I can look at some of the stuff and there's a lot of areas where I was obedient and I know what it is to have the obedience in those areas. But then some of them can seem kind of crazy, you know, just when, you, when you're talking about it. Like I remember one time I was at my parents' house in Southgate and it was raining and I was just really in a mode of like really in a time of seeking God in, in, in a different way. Remember, I was out on a walk and it started raining. I'm walking in the rain and I'm walking up and they have the in and out up off a of Firestone Boulevard over in Southgate. And I walk up and I'm just like, God, I'm seeking you. I want to follow you. I want to give you my whole life. Just whatever I can do, use me. I want you to transform me and all this stuff. And as I'm walking, there's not a single thing in my mind. And I get close to the in and out and I just feel it impressed upon me. Go in there and share with everybody in the in and out. Share with them the gospel. Go in and don't be ashamed. And it was the Spirit convicting me on that. I can tell you as clear as that as it was convicting me to bring me to a point of salvation to go in and share the gospel with them. And all of my, yeah, God, whatever it is, I'll follow you. It got to the point of looking in and I'm out in the rain and I look and I see there's a crowd in and out because everybody was inside because it was raining. And I should have just immediately walked inside and did it. 
But instead I was like, all right, let me, let me pump myself up with some courage. And I, I walked around it. The more that I walked around it, the more the enemy started talking and the more that I was like, I can't go in there. And I don't have the words. All of a sudden I was like, I don't even know how to tell anybody about the cause. Like, all, like, you know, it's like, I don't even know what to do anymore. So I walked away that day with my head down and I walked back to my parents' house and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I hope that you'll give me another chance to do something like that because I want to be obedient, but I was just scared right there and I couldn't do it. Um, and there, that's one that I can bring up. There's other circumstances where I've gone and I've shared with people. Like I think I've shared with you guys when I was at an airport and one time a guy was like, hey, go write a note and give it to this lady in the food court. And I gave it to her and she starts busting down in tears and all this stuff. And like, I missed my flight, but God gives me another flight. And like, when God speaks to you, he can get you to do things that are really cool like that. And you learn to know his voice. And I wish that I would have known sooner that there was nothing worth holding on to, whether it was my pride or my way of people viewing me or my personal belongings or, you know, my direction in life or whatever the things were, because I've seen what being on the side of obedience looks like, and it's always the blessing and it's always better that whatever looked like it was a letting go of something, what you get in return is so much more and I feel like I had hit a few areas where I, in one way or another, just kind of told God, like, I'm not willing or ready to let go. But then what that brought was shame. And feeling ashamed and then feeling like you're walking in disobedience. And once a little bit of darkness moves in in that way and shame starts to take over, that's a real big foothold for the enemy to come in. To where that's what I was talking about in, in the first point of like not turning back from any progress because all of a sudden, man, enemy's a liar. And what can happen is you can start sliding back into his thoughts and behaviors and actions. And that just compounds shame upon shame. And when I was saying that there's nothing that's not worth letting go of, to let go of shame and to come back to God because shame will just keep you alienated. Um, Another one of my notes that I stole from somebody that now it's just going to come from me. Um, guilt is a subconscious confession that you're not forgiven. Condemnation is a subconscious confession that you're worthy to be judged instead of being redeemed. And shame is believing you still are what you're ashamed of. Otherwise, you wouldn't be ashamed. So what shame does, it comes in and it takes away your identity in Christ and it makes gives you an identity of whatever it is that you've been doing and if you have as christians right and when you get going it's so easy to get the mindset that you're a disobedient christian or you're not measuring up to what it should be to be a christian you're a second class christian right and all these things and to get that early on to where you can look at everybody else and it's so easy to come in around a bunch of people and speak the right language going back to the transparency thing and not let anybody know that you're anything less. Because if you've been a Christian for, everybody said, at least five years or more, you probably know some Bible. You can hang out with some people. You can say all the right things, but internally just be carrying so much. And those are things that we were never meant to carry. Again, it's just, it's all lies at that point. The salvation that was given to us at, at the get-go, that Christ died and is shed his blood to redeem us, doesn't become any less effective once we've known him for a while. And if you fall away from that thing, um, he's still there welcoming you back in, but I wish I would have known that. I walked far too long just with shame that keeps you powerless. It keeps you, um, 
in a bad spot. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned pride, and I, I heard this the other day that uh, all pride is is uh, it's fear on steroids. Hmm. Um, so that's what your pride is. It's just your fear in steroids. And sometimes it's really scary, and you get afraid to let go of those things that kind of, in a sense, they've become what identifies you. Like, I, I am my shame. I am this. I am that. And that's the freedom that Christ offers us is that we don't have to be identified by those things. He can take them. So I don't have to be anxiety. I don't have to be depression. Uh, I could have those things, but they're not my, what identifies me or defines me. It's who God is and what he's done in my life. And so we can let go of fear, shame, and all that stuff, even when we uh, walk away from a crowded in and out because God always gives us other opportunities. And that's the cool thing about him is that he, he does. I, I've done the same thing. I, my story of coming back to Calvary was seeing Pastor Ken walking down Rosecrans Boulevard while I was driving to work, and God was like, pull over and talk to him. And I said, nope, and went straight to work. And then I'm sitting in my cubicle, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. Like, the Holy Spirit is just laying it thick. So then I did what we all do. All right, let's make a deal, God. If I see him again, <laughs> I'll talk to him. And then the next day, I didn't see him. So I was like, all right, it was just maybe something I ate that made me feel that way. Uh, two weeks go by, I finally see him again. And there he is doing his power walk down the street. And... <laughs> uh, God was like, there he is. And I was like, I made that deal. I can't, can't not do what God wants me to do, right? He did, here it is. But then inside I said, nope, and I kept driving. And I got to right here, Bellflower and uh, Rose, no, back there, Bellflower and Rosecrans. I got to the Starbucks, and I just felt like if I didn't turn around, something bad was just really going to start happening. And so I pulled around, and I talked to Ken, and I was like, hey, I needed to have a conversation with you. We talked, and that was the first step to where I'm at today. That was the road of, I guess, in a sense, redemption. Um, but like, I, I love that God does that, that even in the moments where like, oh, I failed him, I, I didn't follow through like I wanted or like he wanted me to, uh, he presents those opportunities again for us in our lives, and he, and he sees like, okay, will you, will you follow me? Will you release everything and just go wholeheartedly and see where it takes you. Um, there's no guarantee that it takes you to a happy, productive, wonderful life. It's just, will you follow? And, you know, the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, just when you brought up like, yeah, the shame of not going into in and out. That was just giving an example of like some of that stuff, but I'm married and have children and I am a child and I am a brother and all of these things. And, um, there's a lot of things that God calls you to do and to let go of it within those relationships that just like not going into the in and out. Sometimes I cannot do things that would make me not the best husband and like shame comes in, right? Not the best father, not the best son, not the best brother, not the best pastor, not the best friend. That's those things I'm talking about. It's like, yeah, okay, in and out and doing the thing. That's a level of obedience. But um, really the thing that the devil wants to attack you in is your identity, so it's just like, how do you relate with people and those things coming on when you don't follow through on kind of the God thing within that situation? Yeah, but, and he wants to keep you down there. Yeah. Like, he wants to like that. If you think of the devil, he's like not this all-powerful being. His only tool is he's a liar. And what he whispers in our ear are constant lies. You, that you are a failure. You messed up. You're not a good husband. You're not a good dad. You're not a good son. You're not a good this. And the idea is to keep you where you're at. You can't trust God. Is God really good? Isn't that the first question he asked in the garden? 
well, if God was really good, can you trust God? You know, it was just like this, if, can. And even when he came to tempt Jesus, it's if God was, if, if, it's always there because he wants us to doubt. And when he gets us to doubt, we stay where we are and we stay in the midst of all that. And what Jesus offers us is freedom to, to get out of that and say, you know what? I failed. I, plenty of nights I've gone to bed. I was a horrible dad today. But you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to make it up to them. And it's just how you have to approach it. I can't wallow in that lie because when I stay there, that's where I get stuck at. Yep. So I was just saying, let go of the shame. Let go. Give it a gun. All right. Other questions? Oh, you've been holding on to that one, huh, Dad? All right. You wrote it down? You're good? All right. Invite the woman again. And you spoke to the woman and what was her in those days? Well, that woman was completely beyond the in her mind, what was going to happen to her was she's going to be stoned to death. There was no way out. The people that were judging her were also judging Jesus. He never said anything. He got his knees and started writing in the sand. That woman was feeling the other word that you were talking about, shame. How horrible was she feeling? The horror of what she'd been caught in. And she had no way out. She's going to be stunned to death. And here was the guy that she saw maybe could help her with his knees scribbling in the dead. And finally, the response that came out was, hey, if you guys haven't sinned, the first one that hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. I think when I'm thinking back to my first question, how much was going through that woman's mind in that situation, if I had an opportunity to change, if I could repent, she had already agreed to everything that she was going to do with She agreed that everything that she had done was wrong. And I think that's why Jesus was cautioned and saying to her, hey, go on your way and send them away. Because she had taken the steps in judgment of the shame that left, the obedience that came, and the horror of what she had been. Yeah, you did bring the way that you tied it in, though, is that when you were talking about her getting brought out and feeling shame and, you know, expectation of judgment and everything else uh, and a punishment going back to how we were talking about earlier and Jesus, the one who was there and just like, cool, what is Jesus going to do? Because everyone else wants to stone me. And Jesus's response is to turn away the condemnation and give her freedom and give her forgiveness. So I think that, yeah, for any of us carrying shame and, you know, caught in a situation of, oh man, what's my view of God? Because I'm going to bring this to him. Everybody else is condemning me. So what's Jesus going to do? And there's not the condemnation there. We all quote John 3, 16 and forget 17, 18, because where 17, 18 comes in and says, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn anybody because everybody already sins condemned, but he came to offer the way to salvation, right? So, yeah. Like you're saying, she knew. She was caught. She knew what it was. No one needed to convince her that she was a sinner at that point. But Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to free. You brought up the word judgment, too. And a lot of times I think that's something that we get wrong. Uh, We think of judgment as of someone's opinion of me. They're judging me. Or like Christians get that thought of that they're very judgmental because of what they think of other people and their lifestyle. Uh, But the reality that that's not what that word means or that's not how God uses it in the Bible. Uh, When he brings judgment it's to make things right 
Um, and it's to correct things. It's to make things proper. It's to make things as they should have been and as they are. So when he does judge a nation and there is the calamity of them getting wiped out, um, that's him making things right because of what they've done in the pursuit of living a lifestyle separate from him. But for that woman, her judgment to make things right in her life wasn't wrath or anything. It was freedom. Then it was the go and sin no more because she, the judgment came. It made things right for her in her life. Uh, so I think when we really, that's another thing that kind of went with like read the Bible right is really understanding what the Bible's saying and take off what we know of words to think and mean in our day and age and really what they meant then. It takes uh, a while. Yeah, it does. It took me a long time. So yeah. Uh, anything else? Yeah. Um, I think one thing I wish I would have role of myself in church and like what was coming to mind was like uh i forget which part of hebrews but like do not give up the body um, like what others do but it's like you don't have to be the worship leader you don't have to be the pastor you don't have to be like these big people but it's like your job is to go pray for someone encourage someone like that's why you're here and for me it's like well like i'm just here and i'm sitting down and listening to like the pastor speak and it's like no like your job is to pray for someone Mm. You see how you can spur someone else on. And that kind of changed my outlook of like, oh, like, I don't like the worship, or I don't like the pastor. Like, nope, my job is to still be there for that reason. Mm-hmm. I think it's taking it off of me, me, me. It's like, what can I do for someone else? And switching that focus of what church is actually for. Right on. So you wish that you would have known that you had a role in the church and that not all the roles are the ones on the stage but that you could show up and you could minister to other people and yeah, do those good things. Yeah, there's a lot in the New Testament when you read it that um, as far as all the spiritual gifts and all the things that are given and like pastors and teachers and stuff are gifts given to the church for those purposes. But um, hospitality is one of the more spoken about gifts throughout the whole New Testament and the Old Testament. It's a highly prized and like top rated thing in the scriptures is hospitality. And very rarely do we think of like, oh, the person who's really welcoming who will invite you over to their home or like sit and have the conversation with you, take you out to dinner and stuff. It's just like, that's one of the preferred gifts almost. We miss that because again, just culturally and different stuff, we see people up on stage and we don't really like, let's highlight everybody that has like people to their houses. But yeah, being having your role within the church and, and finding out what that is, super important. Anyone else? Uh, I have something that's a little bit more practical. It's okay to take a lifetime to be like Jesus and to not forget or give up on your progress. Um, How do you guys keep tabs on your progress? Because sometimes I forget really easily Mm. what Christ has done for me. Mm -hmm. And when shame creeps in, like how you were talking about, it's like, you've come so far, or you feel like you have, and then all of a sudden one thing happens. All that progress somehow is forgotten about. And for like a, a new believer or somebody who's learning about this too, it's so hard to continue to press on when like you've forgotten how far you've come. So do you guys have any practical like things that you do? I mean, I like to journal on important things that I can look back on and be like, wow, like, yeah, God delivered me from that and I totally forgot about it. Now I'm encouraged to press on. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have anything you could add to that that, that you like to do? So you're saying practical steps in 
remembering the progress that you've had and how to come back to that in cases of slipping up? Just where you're at. Too. Where you're at. So then you don't just give up when you have a little hiccup. Because I've done that more than once, and it's like I didn't mean to, but I somehow thought it was way worse than it was. Yeah, we're we getting an answer from the crowd over here. Stay accountable. That's the bottom line right there. Find somebody to stay accountable with. You know, learn how to be honest with. Uh, be honest. You know, a lot of the things that we get shame or guilt from is because sometimes we don't want to. We don't want to share and be accountable. You know, your progress, somebody to help you when you're beaten by life or whatever the situation is. You know, you know there's always a good Samaritan coming down the road. You know, or somebody that is your mentor or. So the answer was to that from the audience was accountability, and I really like that. Uh, and then I'll give mine. Uh, but Ralph was here. I don't know if you guys saw him, the baby, and uh, they started. Baby was making too much noise, and so they left. About uh, a few months ago, Ralph had called me. I hadn't seen him in like a few weeks. They were busy. They just had the second baby, um, and he was. Uh, you know, just kind of like, yeah, we just bought a house. And I was like, man, I didn't even know that. Like, you didn't tell us anything. He's like, yeah. And he's just talking about, like, yeah, the baby, the house. It's just been really stressed plus work. And he's just kind of letting me know where he's at. He sounded, like, really not down about it, but just, like, overwhelmed. And I was like, Ralph, you remember when you first came to our life group and, like, you and Janine were really trying to have a kid and you couldn't? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, you remember how, like, for a year our life group prayed with you guys for that? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, dude, you have two kids now. And you just bought a house. Like sometimes we get in the midst of everything that we forget what we were praying for a year ago. And that's where accountability comes in. It's the people to remind us of like, look at what's just happened and what God's just done in your life. And he was like, oh, man, I've, yeah, I, I didn't even take the time to think of it that way. Um, and now I forgot what my answer was. Well, you think Brandon. of it. <laughs> While you think of it. Oh, wait, wait, I got it. Oh, I got it. Yeah, right. too slow. You said it to me. I was going to say the verse that really tied into the thing. Okay, go say your verse. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one, either of them falls down, the other one can help them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Mm-hmm. So on that thing of, man, I fell into shame. No one's here to help me up. Yeah. So all right, the other can go. one well, for me was uh, thankfulness. Uh, I think a lot of times... Uh, being thankful, it helps you not to forget what God has brought you from and where you're at today. And so in my Bible, I do like a, like you're saying, you're journaling. Uh, I actually write in my Bible a lot or underline things so that when I'm flipping through it, I see things of where I was at. And especially the one I'm reading now, it's like older than the one I just had. And I've read it a few times. So it has notes from it from like 2005, 2008, and I could see where I was at in 2008 and where I'm at in 2023, and I'm like, thank you, God. Like, you really brought me from one place to another, and uh, that just doesn't even look like who I am anymore, and it's just that thankfulness that uh, God really brought me here. I really have been working hard on being more thankful to Him, not for, like, the stuff, but just for what He's done. I've heard it somewhere say that if you went to bed one night and you uh, in that going to bed, you thank God for the things that were important in your life. Would you wake up with all the stuff that you had the next day? Like if the next day God took away all the things that you weren't thankful for, uh, would you wake up with everything 
that you uh, had that day before. And it really just made me think, like, how thankful am I to God in my life? And uh, being more thankful to him has just really helped, especially with uh, getting out of areas where, like, oh, I messed up and, or I did something. And it's just like, oh, no, God, you still gave me breath. You still gave me life. I'm thankful for that. I'm going to move forward and going to work on everything. Yeah, that's good. Um, definitely, I think accountability has been mentioned. Just somebody, whether it's somebody on a peer or somebody who's a mentor that's above that you can be open and honest with, especially mentor. Get a mentor. Get someone to disciple. Get more than one. Having somebody above you that's more mature in things that can have a clear and objective view to be able to speak into your life that you can be open and honest with. Obviously, honesty is like the basis for all of this because if you can't tell someone what's going on, they can't speak into the situation. But man, the amount of times for somebody to be able to look and you know bring the wisdom of, well, here's where you're at. Look at these things and here's what's going on. So yeah, other people, whether it's on the peer level or the mentor level, I recommend both of those multiple. Um, in the You said that you can often quickly forget what God has done, or maybe you didn't say quickly. I quickly forget. Old Testament concept of an Ebenezer to wherever God moved and did something that would set up the pile of rocks and erect an Ebenezer so that all the generations coming forward would remember the thing. And I think that that's something that as far as just like church culture and Christian culture is like to really celebrate what God is doing is a big deal and let other people in on what's happening. Like the more that we can celebrate and talk with people, like that's one aspect of just how do we remember you writing things down? I mean, no people to go get tattoos or get something to put in their house or write it down and post it up, you know, whatever the things are, however can help us remember. But for me on a practical level is just going back to the basics and just repeating them and staying in them. Um, because a lot of times where my mind gets screwed up, it'll start taking me away from those things and taking me away from like who I am and what I do as a Christian, as an obedient follower. So it was like, oftentimes prayer will drop off first and then reading my Bible will drop off, being involved with other people, I'll start isolating. And a great thing to jumpstart getting into those things is go and be a service to somebody. Like when I find that I'm in my lowest, it's just like it all becomes about me and the spot where I'm at and it's so bad. It's just like Saturday morning breakfast and showers right here at the church. Show up at 6.30. You can help make food. You can go have conversations. You can pass out clothes. You can run the shower. You can clean the shower and out and after. It's two hours you can show up on a Saturday morning. That will change your aspect outlook on life. Especially when you're looking at thankfulness. It's just like we're letting the homeless community in. There's like one morning, one day a week. Here's what we're providing. Now go back to your house where you have all those things and you're not hungry all the time and all that stuff, right? Completely perspective shifting. When you start hearing some of the things that people are going through, you're like, oh yeah, I've gone through a lot too. Look at how far God has taken me. And it's not just Saturday morning because maybe you're available on a Wednesday or Thursday. Go help out in the food pantry. Maybe you're available on a Friday night. Help out in uh, CR. They've got the landing. They've got CR kids, right? You can be of service and helping with the kids because man, the landing and CR kids their parents are coming to celebrate recovery because they're struggling through some kind of hurt, habit, or hang-up. And you get to come to a kid who's mostly innocent in a situation, who's struggling with one or both parents going through a really hard time, and you just get to show up and be of service. I'm a real big fan of being of service to like help jumpstart out of a situation. But yeah, the, other than that, really getting into the basic um, spiritual practices of things are really helpful to me. I don't know if that helped. That's why it's response. <laughs> Anyone else? All right. Everyone's like, we see that Seth brought out cake. Yeah, Seth brought out cake. So 
Uh, let's wrap this show up so that way we could all celebrate and have cake. Thank you guys for being here. Let's do the yes, applause you, thing you. again. Yeah, it gets picked up. Let's wrap it up. All right, I am Chris. I'm Yurdlich. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>